0: All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Um, This is actually take two of this. We had some technical difficulties on the first time. So stick with us if you hear some noises in the background, some lag. We are doing this over Discord chat due to to distances between. Um, But uh, last week was, or last episode, it's been a couple weeks now. It was a great time. Uh, We went over some some memories we had, some influences, uh, our best concerts some memories from those concerts. Um but this week I think it's gonna be another good episode. We're gonna have a lot of good talks about some uh topics over some bands. We really enjoy um some of their stumbling blocks they've had to overcome as a band to continue. Um the second topic is gonna be any gear that has changed music, whether that be for the good or the bad, um We'll get more into that, but uh, I, I know some of Andy's opinions here, and I'm a, he's aware of some of mine, so I'm sure it will be some conversation sparks there. Um, and third topic, uh, this is going to be kind of the the game part of the episode. We're going to get into some uh, build-a-band. going to try to draft a band of mismatched musicians to create a power group. Um We'll get into some rules from that, but that's going to be a new segment we try to bring back every now and then to uh, kind of keep some stuff lively, have a good time with it. But uh, Andy, man, it's good It's good to have you back. It's been a couple of weeks. How are you, man?
1: Doing pretty good. Um, yeah, excited to uh, be back and talk some music and various other things.
0: Yeah, man, You you know me. I'm always trying to. Just spark your interest and uh, keep you thinking. But uh, last week we talked a lot about some bands. So um, listening back to the podcast after we posted it, um, it kind of brought the idea up of you know a lot of the bands we talked about have lost some members. Um, your favorite band, AC/DC, man. Uh, one of my favorite bands, Red Hot Chew The Peppers. So. Uh, I'll let you lead us off into this next topic, uh, with A C D C
2: um Yeah, so I mean, if we are gonna talk about a band um who has lost somebody and went on to find success, I mean that would they would
1: probably be the band to start with. Um you know obviously losing uh Bond Scott in nineteen eighty um, which I mean they changed out some various members before that,
2: but you know for all intents and purposes the the real um i guess uh, what's the word I'm looking for the the
1: big successful version of the band was um you know with Bon Scott, Malcolm Angus, Bon Scott, uh Cliff Williams and Phil Rudd. And then they lost um Bond in nineteen eighty, um, and then went on to um, you know, obviously get Brian Johnson, which was a really good move on their part. Um he was the not really very well known at the time, uh being, you know, in a band called Geordie and I mean, you know, the only reason they reached out to him in the first place was because, you know, Bon Scott had heard him sing and he really liked him. So, um, you know, and then they went on to, you know, immediately make like the second best selling album uh, of all time in music history. So I would say that was um, a boosted, boosted success um, after losing a member, um, you know, they had just released Highway to Hell a year earlier, and that kind of broke them in America, but, um, you know, they still weren't huge, and then Back in Black basically just changed that band forever and made them, um, kind of household names. Everybody everybody knew who ACDC, ACDC was by, uh, late, uh, 1980 because of that album. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about, um, if you're talking that topic, um, yeah, that would be a good one to start with.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, for sure. You know, as you were talking like about the success they have with Von Scott, um, now that we get back to looking at that stuff and, uh, you know, we've, we've had the, the many, many years with Brian Johnson. We, we look back and appreciate the Von Scott era a lot more than what people probably did in its time. Um, and then, like you said, they went from being a a scarcely known band with a pretty decent singer that was a great songwriter, lyricist, to losing him, unfortunately, uh, and adding Brian Johnson and literally jumping to the top of the charts um, worldwide. Almost immediately, like I, I thought. That how in, how inspiring that is to as a musician um, to know you can be at the right bottom and jump back to the top.
2: Yeah, I mean it was. I do not
1: say it was luck because they made they made a good album, but it's definitely um, you know that's perseverance, I guess, but. Um, you know, a lot of it has to do with Brian Johnson. I mean, in terms of um vocals, I mean, you know, it's always been one of my opinions that
2: the Back and Black album is one of the best examples or best rock vocal albums of all time. I mean,
1: that's um, you know, I mean and that's a product of him, but that's also a product of Mutt Lang who Um, was a you know just a a producer at the time who you know basically made everything he touched turn into gold I mean he you know he did the Highway to Hell album he did Back in Black those were two of you know still to this day probably ACDC's best two albums and then You know, he did Foreigner's Four album, which had all, you know, a bunch of their hits on it. And he did Def Leppard's Hysteria album, which broke them out and had all their hits on it. Um, You know, he's just a guy who, that's what he did, was make hit records. And he was really well known for getting the best vocals he could get out of singers. and, And that's what he got out of Brian Johnson. I mean, because you got you to gotta understand, Brian Johnson didn't sing like that before he was in ACDC. He didn't sing that hard, hard-edged voice. He was doing more pop music. And, um, and you know, I've even heard him say, you know, there's songs on that album he couldn't, he, he couldn't have sang them live at that time. Like, it took yeah. everything he could. It took everything he had just to get a, a usable take. Um, and because some of them are just really high and really hard to sing, but,
2: <clears throat> you know, I mean, it, I love
1: Bond Scott. He was a great lyricist, good singer. I think that he had the, the he was, uh, a guy whose personality fit the band perfectly, but in my opinion, for all intents and purposes, Brian Johnson's voice is the voice of ACDC his, his voice fits the band.
2: I agree. Better. I agree. He's
1: got he's got the same tone to his voice that they have in the guitars. I mean, he's, it's, it would be really, really hard to sing for that band. And he has been doing it for several decades pretty successfully. And, um, you know, I know they had some rough
2: stretches in the eighties with albums, but, you know, <clears throat> even still, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's a pretty remarkable achievement to do uh, what yeah.
1: they've done with him. And, I mean, just played a few weeks ago at the Power Trip Festival, which I know we haven't really talked about. But, um, I mean, the guy hasn't sang in like seven years. And they come out there and just play a full concert on a bill that included Metallica and Guns N' Roses and Iron Maiden. and. Um, you know, all kinds of bands and they just killed it. They completely stole the weekend. And so that's just kind of what that band can do with him. And, um, you know, it's pretty rare. I mean, it's pretty rare for a guy to be respected that well, who's not the original lead singer, but yeah, I think that that would be the best starting point for, for that topic.
0: That I agree with you, man. Um, and, and I'll, You've done a great job covering this topic for ACDC, and I'm going to add very little to this. But um, when you mention the name ACDC, there's two people that come to mind. There's Angus and then Brian Johnson. Um, and then as musicians, Malcolm falls in there. But the the first two names are Brian Johnson and Angus. For that reason, he he's just been a staple for them and has been consistent in a in a genre that that causes so much harm to natural voices so dude's doing something right for sure
2: yeah it'd be pretty difficult
1: to get up there on stage and sing that stuff at 76 years old but he did it the
2: other
0: night <laughs> and yeah, they sing
1: quite a few of their songs in standard which yeah. is just
0: incredible i've seen a couple of the clips with them and uh which makes me excited to cover it um, Gives me hope to maybe sneak in an ACDC show before, you know, they call it quits. Um, we'll so see. You, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll try to hit it together if there's one. Um, you mentioned a couple of the bands that we're going to cover after this. Uh, the most obvious of ones, uh, being Metallica. Um, Metallica was, you know, one of the big four, they call it, with the. The thrash metal back in the day, and one of the founding members, Cliff Burton, unfortunately, is still with us. Um, we we all know the circumstances, what happened. Um, claimed to have ice on the road when the bus driver hit it and flipped, and uh, luck of cards actually had Cliff in the bunk that he was in that ultimately cost him his life. Uh, it's a sad situation for such a talented person. Um, Cliff, like I said, was with Metallica from the beginning. Um, and a lot of times people people go to go to think, you know, there were a number of bass players that tried to be Cliff Burton. And there's a reason that none of them are still in the band. It's because nobody could, could do what Cliff was doing uh Especially to the extent of what he was doing, I mean uh just think of the intro for who the for whom the bell tolls uh it's 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 ridiculous it's ridiculous to think about um I do think you know Metallica did a great job replacing him with jason Newstead, uh but you know the whole falling out between them and lowering his mix in in the songs to where trying to make a statement that there's no longer a bass player in Metallica because Cliff is gone. Uh I'm not sure if that would have been the way that I would have went about the situation, but um yeah, unfortunately losing him also sparked their their popularity, it seems. Uh once he passed it, it kind of seemed to be Let's see what they're doing next. And they were often in the in the front of the of the media, especially amongst the thrash metal community. Um, and nowadays, I've got Robert playing. Man, he's a great player. He's he's a, jumping around the stage just like like he used to. But uh, when you ask any Metallica fan, and and we we bring up Brandon every now and then because he's played music with us so many times, but uh, they all say. The best bass players on Metallica was Cliff, Jason, Vin, Robert. So, but uh, what a band, man! They they're still going at it. Um, you know we, it's kind of the same thing as ACDC. We uh we didn't really respect what Cliff had going for him and what he was doing until we lost him. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean
2: that's kind of a
1: situation where everybody else. After him is just kind of copying,
2: you know, kind of that style and what he did. um But you know, that's part uh, of being an original member. So
0: yeah, yeah, you're always setting the the bar. Whether someone exceeds it or matches it is up to them. But uh, the in the documentary of about Metallica and it, it's a hard watch. It parts. Uh, <laughs> Kind of going through some of the drama that they went to and uh, that kind of thing. But the parts where they covered losing Cliff, uh, James actually brings up the point that Cliff was a huge country music fan and loved like three, port, three part harmony. And uh, oftentimes would listen to Bluegrass to help with harmonies. And he actually introduced James to harmonies. James had no idea what harmonies were until. Until Cliff brought him up, so it's just it's hard to lose a musician like that, you know. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Uh, where do you want to jump next? Do you want to go to? I think I think we'll we'll dish it back to you and let you hit
2: one of yours. So. Um. All right. Um. I can do. Um, uh, we can do Def Leppard. Um, that's a band who lost,
1: uh, kind of, I mean, I guess kind of similar to ACDC. It's a little different, but, um, you know, losing, um, Steve Clark when they did, um, you know, right in the thick of the success of the Hysteria album. Um, you know i it's sad but um you know at the same time i know that you know he had a lot of issues but you know that was banned i mean i kind of say they were similar to acdc because acdc had just found their most success um with again the highway to hell album um And then, you know, Def Leppard had just found their biggest success with Hysteria, but I mean, the difference being that um, ACDC followed up with Back in Black, which was obviously ended up being much bigger. And Def Leppard followed up with good albums, but they, it it was Hysteria is, I mean, if you go watch Def Leppard live today, uh, 75% of their set list is the Hysteria album, because I mean, the the thing had like seven hit singles on it. so you know, losing him at that point was um, uh, was pretty tragic for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, his his work with uh, Phil Collin, uh, you know they they were they really made up a great guitar sound in the band. Um, but you know, Vivian Campbell joined them, um, who you know at that point, I think, you know, he had played for, um, you know, several people, um, Lizzy, White Whitesnake, uh, he did some, uh, work with, um, Dio in the early eighties. So, you know, a lot of those really cool Dio songs, it's, that's him playing on them. Um, that, <clears throat> if you're going to lose a guitar player, that's, I've always said, that's a pretty good guitar player to replace, replace him with. Cause, Um, and he's just a killer guitar player he's um, I've seen them live several times uh, with him and uh, and uh, he's just great I mean that's that's one of those basically they have two lead guitar players kind of bands and
2: uh, that's how they've always been but um, yeah Steve Clark was great Um, you know he came up with
1: a lot of those iconic guitar solos on the early Def Leppard records. Um, So you have to contribute a lot of that to him. Uh,
2: And again, I know he had a lot of demons, but, um, you know, uh, sad, sad to see a a young, young guy go like that. Uh, But, you
1: know, she's kind of a product of the time. Um, But, I don't, you know, if you're saying a band that found success, I think the success for Def Leppard was that they just kept going, um, and I mean, you know, they're they're no stranger to. I mean, uh, you know, uh, terrible things happening. They obviously they had a drummer lose an arm uh, right before they made their biggest record, so. Um, they've persevered. It's kind of amazing that they are still going after all everything that's happened to them. But um, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're pointing out bands that have lost original members and, and kept going with success, that would be a band that uh, should be talked about. Uh, but again, success is relative. If you're talking about a band who um, put out a number one album, that's not them, but, the success for them is that they um have made several records since and are you know still very good and uh sort of overcame that
0: that obstacle but yeah yeah man uh it's it's cool to bring up for sure um but uh the like you said it, it's inspiring to me to to know all the troubles that they've had as a band i mean right before hysteria drummer lost the arm uh took a break and gave him time to learn how to play drums uh with one arm before continuing as a band you know that that alone says mountains of their personalities and character um and then just the ability to keep going after losing losing Steve uh like you said, he had he had some demons. He was he was battling, and unfortunately, he he lost. But uh, yeah, it's 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 awesome to think about that. There there's hope afterwards. Um, the the next one I'm gonna jump to if you if you think you've covered some ground on Def Leppard. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the Rolling Stones. It's kind of a lesser known one um uh, but of course i'm talking about uh Brian Jones uh, he was he was around before Keith Richards uh you know him and uh and the rest of the original members started it and he was the uh, guitar player originally and then Richards joining shortly after uh took over the lead parts and left Jones with uh, kind of a space filler job, is what I like to call it. He He's listed as a multi-instrumentalist. Um, I mean, that painted black intro that you hear in the main part, that's him playing it on a sitar. Uh, of course, in later years after he passed, there was a uh, special-tuned guitar that played that part. Um, but, yeah. He uh, kind of similar, similar thing. Um, Rolling Stones had found some success. It wasn't the height of their careers just yet. Uh, he, he had been such a valuable asset to this band because if they, if they heard something that they wanted in the, in the mix, it was more than likely it was an instrument he could play. Uh, and if he couldn't, he adapted and figured it out. Um, also again, kind of like Steve Clark, he, he had some demons he was, he was fighting with and unfortunately lost. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's sad, man. They, they, and it, it just speaks altitudes of his, his success as a musician, but they didn't even attempt to replace him. Uh I feel I feel the Stones probably knew that there wasn't replacing a multi-instrument instrumentalist like him. Uh, even to the point where he sang a lot of the uh the harmonies that are that are heard to the original Stones records to this day. Uh but it's kind of the the whole even when um you know Fleetwood Mac when Lindsay Buckingham would leave, they had to bring in two guitarists to to cover his, his spots, you know? So it's kind of the same thing there.
2: Uh yeah. I mean people think about the Stones and they're gonna think about Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, but um Yeah.
1: Early early uh influence on the band always has a lot to do with how the band ends up, so You always have to think about um, the guys who were sort of helped start the group up and find that early success. And again, he's a good candidate for this. Um, I know his situation's a little different, um, you know, with him basically leaving the Stones right before it, like literally right before he died. But, um, you know, who knows? It would have probably resulted in him rejoining the band, you know, if he would have lived. But, yeah uh <clears throat> that's another one that you know
2: you kind of have to
1: talk about um when you talk about bands especially from that era um because i mean you look at like zeppelin you know they lost um john Bonham, and they did they quit they did, they didn't go on so um it is always something when bands lose members um that early in their career especially the iconic bands and they keep going um and find you know so much success um it's always i mean it's really tough to do it's
0: not just any band can do that sure um not gonna talk a whole lot on them but same thing kind of happened with the Who, you know with keith moon um yeah but uh similar circumstances um but yeah, I had actually forgotten that he had technically quit the band right before he had passed. Um, but either way, it still lives still leaves a big question mark on what the what the band could have done. Even though they've been wildly successful. And even uh putting an album out and they're I believe Mick Jagger and Keith Richards are both about to turn eighty or half turned eighty. So it's incredible. Yeah.
2: It is. It really is. What you got next? Um, I mean, I can uh, speak to maybe, I guess, Queen. I
1: know that it's, again, it's not really the same. They lost a member and, and you know, did not continue with success, the similar success, but I mean, they did continue, um, obviously losing Freddie Mercury and then, um, uh, you know, um, kind of just continuing to play, um, um, uh, you know, with, you know, Paul Rogers for a while. And then, um, you know, now they play with Adam Lambert, you know, John Deacon kind of refused to come back after Freddie Mercury died. So, basically have about half the band nowadays and Brian May and Roger Taylor. Um, you know, they're probably that's probably the most debated or uh out of any of these. Um, you know, everybody's uh, everybody's got opinions on whether or not bands should play or keep going without certain members. And you can make the case that Queen's the one that out of all of those is the most uh, polarizing because, I mean, if you lose Freddie Mercury, that's, you know, that guy makes up for about three members of any other band. Um And so it's obviously not the same. And they've never, uh, you know, and to their credit, they've never advertised it as the same. You know, they always, it's always Queen with, you know, Paul Rogers or Queen with Adam Lambert. It's never, they're never trying to advertise it as just Queen. Um, And I think that's probably the way to go about it. Um, Because it is different. And it has been different since that happened. Um,
2: It's more of a, more or less just a tribute to the music, um, you know, ever, ever since...
1: Um, the passing of Freddie Mercury, so um, you know they they just became a totally different, um, totally different entity after he passed, and um, so uh, again it's it's completely different than all these other ones. But um, they are a band that kept going. I mean, they're on tour right now in North America. I saw, so um, they've they've kind of never really stopped, um, which you know. Um, I respect it. I mean, if you want to play, you certainly have the right to. You helped write all those songs and played them, and um, I don't see any harm in it. Um, You know, people don't show up to shows thinking that Freddie Mercury is going to walk out on stage. So, you know, you're not um, pulling the wool over anybody's eyes or anything like that. Um, So, um, yeah again, just completely different, but it is a band that kept going without an original member
2: um so you know that's yeah. that's one again when yeah, you man. talk about
1: losing losing a member and keeping keeping on I think that's they're definitely in the mix as well
0: and i'll I'll say the the biggest thing that the reason I kind of listed them was. Not for their boostic success or similar success afterwards. It's uh, almost—I feel like their whole point of continuing on was so people would know the music, kind of like you said. Um, I listen to the Eddie Trunk podcast fairly often, and I listened to the episode where he interviewed Brian May, and they touched on it, and. Brian May was basically saying to the point, we we weren't trying to emulate anything Freddie was doing. We were trying to usher in a new generation of Queen fans, and I I would say they've been fairly successful with that. So I I think that's I think that's a great benefit. Um, now there's all these younger generations that love and know all this Queen music, and a lot of the present day artists will all point back to Queen being one of their influences. So it's well deserved for sure.
1: Yeah. Um it's pretty amazing how that band uh transcend, transcends generations and you know kids know who they are and probably always will. I mean that they're just one of those bands. Um one I you know one reason they they have done okay for themselves even after uh, Freddie Mercury died is they've also really never tried to fit a square peg into a round hole I mean they you know Paul Rogers sang for them after Freddie Mercury died and and, and I love Paul Rogers I love Bad Company I'm a big fan I think he's a he's a really really
2: good singer Uh, great rock voice soulful voice but when you think about Queen vocals that
1: he's the last person you would think of because he just doesn't sing anything like freight mercury but they made it work by doing songs that kind of fit what he could do and doing some other stuff that wasn't playing songs. so it was really a lot different uh with adam Lambert, i mean he definitely sings more like that but it's it's a lot
2: different he, he's not really a rock guy um you know but um you know i it's good to it's it's good to uh adapt.
1: Um the example I always use is i um, you know, I'm a I think maybe we talked about this last time, but I'm a big uh you know, Black Sabbath fan and Dio sang for Sabbath when Ozzy left. But it didn't work because
0: you did have to uh, check it
2: up
1: they just have two totally different styles. Sabbath wanted to continue being the Sabbath that they were before Dio and Dio wanted to be the kind of band that Dio always has. And so it just didn't it didn't work. Um, that's why it was kind of short-lived. But um, yeah, I mean, adaptability is huge in those kinds of situations. And that's why I think they've been able to keep playing all these years.
2: Um, and still sell out, you know, arenas and all that. So Yeah man. Um the
0: the thing with them, uh like I said, they've ushered in new fans and all that stuff. But I I agree with you. I, at the same time they, they weren't trying to force a square peg into a round hole, but who better to kind of fill the void of Freddie Mercury than Adam Lambert? uh and brian may kind of touched on that too it's he said they kind of have similar personalities um very very much a a show person they are they were both just great front man you you it didn't matter what adam Lambert sounds like when it's a front man like that so um and they kind of went over the story of how they found Adam Lambert when that podcasted. It's a cool, cool situation. But uh, regardless, it's it's super sad to lose Freddie. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Um, The next two both will just seem to be mine. Um, I'm just going to very vaguely touch on the Red Hot Chili Peppers just because they've been such a big influence on me. Um, the, uh, original guitar player, Halil Slovak, um, he's kind of glanced over because his predecessor, or, you know, hit John Fursonese, man, that's, it, he is incredible. Um, it kind of seems like there's no appreciation given to Slovak, even though he's the main reason the band has the style that it has um he he primarily started as a as a metal musician um in the late seventies or the eighties uh played in a bunch of different bands but kind of was gaining some ground in a band called anthem uh but cross paths with uh anthony Kiedis and uh they tell the full story in uh, in Kiedis Kiedis's, um autobiography, uh, Scar Tissue. Uh, it's a good read if you if you're into autobiographies. It's a good read. I read it a long time ago. But uh, pretty much they met at a uh, at a battle of the band, and they both just kind of hit it off, and they joined up a band together. And naturally, you know, Flea was in the picture as well, and. And their original drummer, I forget his name, but uh, was friends with Slovak. And kind of the same thing. Slovak had some demons, man, that kind of got introduced at an early age. And he fought and lost, unfortunately. But they, Red Hot Chili Peppers hadn't really found success to, to be huge. I mean, they haven't hit it to the point that they are at now. Uh, when John joined after losing Slovak, they made kind of a uh, mediocre, or I don't want to say mediocre because it, it
2: it hit the charts, but uh, it hit.
0: And then John joined, and it was it was from there it was to the, to the moon, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, that's red right up to the peppers. It, it's awesome to see that. Kind of the same thing with um with a c d c uh they just kept going almost immediately after in 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 Slovak's honor and many songs that are popular nowadays are written about Slovak. uh but for
2: uh forshawwnee coming in and filled that void just absolutely perfect um, yep. Um.
0: Yeah, for sure. The the other one that was mine is obviously Leonard Skinnerd. Um, I feel like you can't talk about this topic without bringing up Leonard Skinnerd, almost to the same as ACDC.
2: Um. Obviously the
0: the plane crash that took three of the original members. Uh, happened in uh, Mississippi just outside of Philadelphia. I've actually had the uh privilege of visiting the site and the memorial um, took Ronnie vansant uh, and the Gaines siblings um, and a multitude of others uh, that were on the crew, but uh I feel like we had kind of have to hit hard on Ronnie van vansant and uh and Steve Gaines and they, they were, uh, they were huge in that band. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, Steve Gaines wrote a ton of their hits with Ronnie. And I mean, Ronnie was, uh, I mean, even Ronnie was a great drummer too. I mean, he played a lot of drums on their songs. So, but, um, uh, just them they They've had some members come and go, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I I would like to say I know more about them, but uh, I found Leonard Skinner, obviously, well after they had lost their members. But uh, the band that they put on tour for the last time, you know, past couple of years, uh, definitely was a lot more different than what it was before the crash. Uh, yeah, I mean, on, pretty
1: much, it's a different band altogether, but um, I don't know. Uh, it, it, you kind of get into semantics at that point, whether or not they should call themselves Leonard Skinner.
2: I mean, again, if they're going out there and playing the music and doing it well, um, you know,
1: I don't really care. I mean, I you know, I also don't think they should charge – ridiculous ticket prices and i I don't think they do but you know some bands do that I actually
0: saw in that sorry to interrupt you but i actually saw their last tour one of their last shows uh tickets were like five dollars a piece to get in and it was for the entire arena everything like five dollars they just they wanted as many people to come as they could for the last couple shows
1: yeah um and some people try to, to pull that and, and just make a ton of money off a of name. And I don't really think that's what they have been doing. so I don't really have, uh, much of an issue with it. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, you know, Leonard Skinner, uh, they're, they're one of those bands. I mean, they're, you know, they're not like, they w- would never like be in my top bands, but you know, they were a really good band. Um, back in the day um when they were the original band and um wrote a lot of good songs and had good musicianship
2: that i think anybody could appreciate um and you know i i know that like a lot of their songs are they kind of get into that um that area where uh,
1: people almost sometimes I think get annoyed by them because their songs are super overplayed. Um, but I mean, they're good songs. I mean, you know, at at the end of the day, um, you can't really, you can't really deny that. Um, and uh, you know, I think one of the reasons why they're overplayed is because they're good songs and the band just didn't live long enough to write more music. So, um, that's just kind of what gets played, but, um, yeah, obviously, um, that's a story that everyone knows about, um, the loss of their members. So yeah,
2: that's another one that had to be added.
0: Yeah, man. Um, we, we've read up their musicianship, uh, Ed King, who was one of the few surviving original members, you know wrote Sweet Home Alabama, uh, had the famous red eye 59 list, Paul, that Jason Isabel bought. Um, he, he was talking about how he had thought in his lifetime, he had never been heartbroken. Um, until, uh, he ultimately was kicked out of the band by Ronnie and, uh, later joined and, you know, fixed the relationship before Ronnie passed. But uh, I had to bring that up because there's an interview out there with Marty Schwartz and Ed King, and, and it's it's a good watch. But uh, yeah, you can't you can't fault Skynyrd for writing great songs one after another, and you know having members pass, and those great songs are just getting played over and over and over again because they're great. Um, they are they are overplayed. You have to admit that, but you can't fault Skynyrd for them being overplayed. Yep. I agree. All right. I think that's kind of all I wanted to touch on on all those. Um you know, sometimes sometimes life is unfair and you know, I think any you ask any one of those those bands, especially the members that were close to the members that passed, they are they're all going to say the same thing that it should have been avoided at all costs, but uh But let's move on to a a more lighthearted topic that is seemingly, seemingly here to maybe make you think about how music has progressed and evolved. Um, And that second topic is gear that has changed music or music production for the good or for the bad. Um, And what sparked this idea was I was listening to a reaction video of a, I don't want to say no name producer. It was a producer I was unfamiliar with reacting to Greta Van Fleet's original uh, From the Fires EP. Um, Obviously, Greta Van Fleet's a great band. You cannot deny that first EP was Led Zeppelin 2.0. That's Mass of their sound sounded just like that. And that's what the guy was talking about, but he kept talking that it was very obvious that there was some auto tune put on the vocals. Uh, now, I can't say that I hear it, um, but I also can't say that I don't hear it. Um, auto tune is one of those things that came into music uh, largely for those garage band musicians who were trying to put an album out for as cheap as possible and could do so with a, a program downloaded on their computer. But at the same time, I think it hurt vocals across music, regardless of the genre. Oh uh, yeah. I
2: wholly agree. i I could see something like auto tune
1: being something fun to play with at home. I, I've never understood why it, or how it made its way into the music industry, uh, the way that it has, uh, to the point where it's just embarrassingly used. And, um, I, I can't speak to the Grand Van fleet thing. I, you know, I don't, I don't know, but I, I mean, I do like that band. I don't, Sometimes I think people hear vocal effects on a microphone and just think it's auto tuned So I don't, you know, I don't always uh, take someone's word for it when they say something was auto tuned. Because um, to me, when something's auto tuned, like it's not. You don't have to guess. It's it's pretty obviously auto tuned. Um, I don't think that's an effect that you can just sneak in there. Um, it's usually kind of no very noticeable, but um no, I I I come from the age of um if you gotta get in the studio and do fifty takes to get a vocal right, then you do it fifty times. Um I don't I've never liked it. I don't I don't wanna when I turn on a record I don't wanna hear somebody's voice modified with a computer just to hit the right notes. Um I just I don't i yeah, I don't care for that at all.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, man. Um I as someone who's recorded a good bit and and seen all this stuff used, uh it it's amazing to see how it works, you know? Especially with somebody that knows how they're knows what they're doing. Um but I'll say this, auto-tune and pitch correction should be in two totally different uh, categories. Auto-tune, I think, is, I don't know, man, it's it's almost blatant when it's done, you know? And then there's pitch correction where you might be not even a semitone off. And, you know, you can drag and drop and fix it. It's it's crazy. It's crazy that something can be taken from the air through a microphone into a computer and then completely changed to be correct. So, and I, I think it's also produced a bunch of lackluster bands or bands that are great, but their singer sucks, you know, um, especially live. Um, yeah. yeah. You brought up Brian Johnson earlier. I mean, that guy did it back in the uh, early 80s, late 80s. Uh, just like you were saying, if it took 50 takes, well, I'm going to get 51 out of you, you know? Yeah.
2: I mean, it, it's just the you know, music's just, is just totally different now and just has been
1: for so long. And it's, it, it, you know, I mean, it's pretty much a big reason why I don't listen to modern music and I haven't for years, save for very few bands. Um, who I you know might check out some of their new stuff, but um, music used to be five guys got in a room with instruments and a vocal mic and or a couple of vocal mics, and they whatever they played in that room was what was going on that record, mistakes and all. I mean, mistakes and all. When you listen to the Rolling Stones records or the early Beatles records, man, they get out of time, they speed up. You hear, you know, you hear guitar mistakes. You might hear a drum mistake. You might hear a, a singer get off key a little bit here and there, but that's just like live music. That just,
2: that's it's just beautiful. what they, rec- they recorded it. And, yeah, um, and I don't, <clears throat> when I
1: listen to a record, I don't, it doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, I just don't, I've never understood this idea that it, I mean, I understand that as a band, you want to get a perfect take.
2: I mean, I get that, but um, yeah, doing some of the stuff they do now to, you, well, I mean, like I said, it's
1: completely different now. They take people now who are not singers and make them
2: singers.
0: Yeah. Even in live, st- even in the live States, they they, there's yeah. processors out there now that can do it in milliseconds, you know?
1: Um, well, and that's that's if people are even singing. Yeah, you know, there's so much lip syncing now. Um, it's 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 insane to see what some of these, uh, you know, these younger generation kids. What they'll go to concerts and the ticket prices that they'll pay to see someone lip sync to music that's not even real music. It's something that was made up in a computer, of just beats put together. I, I just don't i uh, you know i you know I know I'm a little over the hill on some of that stuff. I'm very out of touch with a lot of this, but I mean that's just my opinion i don't i i've never I've never really understood that uh that ideals, but to each his own,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean it's popular for sure it gets used i would say too much um, yeah, I don't. I'm not going to spend much more time on this specific topic just for time's sake. But I mean, I'll tune I, I, I think we're both going to say has been a bad influence on music. Yeah. Now let's, let's go to one that can be either or a couple of them. Actually We've got programmable drums and DAWs. And when I say DAWs, digital
2: area workspaces. Um, Programmable drums. Like them or dislike them? What do you think? I very much like them. Um, They're cool. They came along in the 80s. Um, you
1: know, it, 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 with those, it's not cheating. Somebody's playing them. They may be pre-recorded sounds that are triggers in place of where a real drum head would be, but... um You know, I mean, it still takes
0: skills to put all that, the beats together into whatever you're playing. You still have Um, to be a drummer to to do these. Um, Right. I'm going to emphasize this. We're not talking about drum machines when we we talk about programmable drums. Drum machines are simply something you input a time signature and uh, what you want, you know, if you want 30 second notes on the hi-hat or that kind of thing. Uh, programmable drums are made to be triggered by an external device, much like an electric drum set.
1: Yeah, um, and they weren't really as res- respected until uh, Neil Peart picked up on them um, in the eighties, and then I, you know, in the the late eighties, and then they kind of became.
0: Phil Collins used them too, right? Yeah, um,
1: yeah. but really, the only reason that.
2: Neil Peart got into him was because he loved, um, he loved what um,
1: Def Leppard was doing, uh, what Rick Allen was doing, when he lost his arm and had to modify his kit, and he had to use programmable drums, uh, you know, in order to play different types of drums with different parts of his body that you wouldn't normally use. And, um, you know, that had a big influence on Neil Peart who started using them. Um, and that was a big influence on a lot of other people. So you can kind of say that Rick Allen was really one of the ones who made that more of an accessible thing to do. Um, people still use them, um, for sure, especially in pop music, but, you know, more or less nowadays, you're either going to get live acoustic drums or you're just most of the time, you can get drum machines, uh, especially if you're listening to a studio recording. But um, the '80s were really the big heyday of of the pro- programmable drums, and kind of where they, you know, got really big. And you no, know, I really like them. I, I think people got creative with
0: them. Um, they didn't use them as a musical crutch. That's the that's the thing that I like them for. They they used them as a tool and not a crutch, much like AutoTune. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, so I'm in favor of those.
0: I agree. I, I think me and you are going to have a lot of the same opinions on these, which is okay. Um, like we said when we first started this podcast, if you have a different different opinion from us, that's fantastic. Uh, we're not here to say you're wrong. We're here to talk about stuff we like, we dislike. effects of it um which brings me into uh dolls um i've used a few in the in the past years you know uh a a favorite of mine has always been either reaper or uh um any variant similar to garage band or uh those 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 times that are are easy to use you know you can you can set your your metronome you can hit record and you can record your part without much programming um but uh and what I know you've used reaper and a couple other ones um but do you think daw's benefited music or do you think it takes away from the original analog feel that most most musicians are putting in a plug-in to to get nowadays
2: um i mean to be honest with you i i think it's lesser uh yeah
1: i'm i listen i'm a vinyl guy i listen to vinyl vinyl records that come from master tapes that were recorded analog are just the best form of music to listen to. It's got a warmth to it that you can't replicate. Um it's got um you know a fullness to it that you know when you record something digitally it compresses the files and uh it does change the sound. I mean it just does. Um do I think it's you know that big a deal not really i mean there's a lot of people out there who came from the analog era that still use analog uh to this day it's incredibly more expensive to do it that way a lot of a lot of studios will use analog to record you if you want but it's just expensive to do it um i mean as far as at home convenience yeah i mean the 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 digital stations are, you know, super convenient um, for, you know, for putting together parts and stuff. I wouldn't say I really have anything against them. um, But, I mean, if you just put the two in front of me and maybe pick one, I think I would pick analog just because of the warmth it adds to the sound. But um, I do also understand how much more convenient the digital stations are. So, yeah.
0: Agree. Um. and I try to think of this as someone who used only DOS. You know, uh, I've never recorded to tape. I've never recorded to anything other than a workstation. Uh, so my knowledge on how the analog process works is very little. Um. I know you actually had to know what you were doing and you couldn't really just figure it out uh or you would you would waste a lot of time and a lot of money and probably some good takes um so i i I agree with you i think it's a tremendous win for um convenience and it's allowed a lot of people out there to to start music careers from you know their basement their bedroom or their garage, something like that. So, I think I think it's a great, a great thing to have. Um, I'm going to try to lump these three, last one, these last three together, so we can move on to our, our, uh, our last topic in a timely manner. Uh, the last three I've got is loop pedals, modeling amps, and in ears. Um, the reason I put loop pedals on here, and I I think they're great. Um, Personally, as a songwriter, I use a loop pedal every time I write a song, really. Um, I'll plug in, play a riff that I like, and sit and think, you know. Uh, try to come up with lyrics. Try to come up with a different part, that, a guitar part that'll coexist with that. Um, So, yeah, loop pedals, I'm all for them, man. There's, there's, I don't think there's a downside to them. Unless, you know, someone's getting up on stage. And playing a three chord riff into a loop pedal, letting it play, and you know singing over it, and calling that a band and charging a ton of money for it because I don't want to call that a talentless, but it is—it's not something I think loop pedals should be used for.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't
1: really have a huge opinion on this. I, I would—I don't mind using them as guitar effects, but yeah same when you use it as kind of like a crutch i
2: don't that's something i don't really care for but i'm kind of the same
0: yeah um modeling amps. i andy you know as much as i do um if there's technology out there that is more consistent or uh can be used more regularly than than tube amps I'm going to use it, you know, and a lot of the bands that we've played, I've played through digital effects, uh, whether it be a pedal board or a modeling amp. Um, I've owned three or four modeling amps in the past five years. Uh, I support modeling amps massively because, I mean, even, you know, the little Fender GT or Mustang GTs, man, they're, they weigh like 20 pounds and I have every Fender amp with the scroll of a dial, just how convenient is that? And and the fact that I can run a uh, a cable out of the back of it into a a a main or you know a board or a, a doll and record parts or send them to the board without miking and get that clean sound with little to no interference, I'm all for it.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, um, for what I've done, um, they're,
1: they're good. I think this for me is very similar to the analog versus the digital systems. Uh, it's convenient. Um, it's a lot more convenient. I do think there was something, you know, there's something to tube amps that, um, they got a little bit more saturation to them and a little bit more um uh, warmth and appeal to the sound that can't quite perfectly be replicated by the model amps but um again there there's a lot of upkeep to tube amps um and so you know you have a lot of people who use model amps with effects to try and replicate that sound um so uh again, I I don't know that I have a as big of an opinion on this one either, but um, you know, I, I think there's pros and cons to both, but I don't really have an issue with them existing
2: or that people use them.
0: Yeah. Um and I think of it like this. Um You know, the Stevie Ray Vaughn Hype guitar playing where you turn the amp up as high as you can go and play as hard as you can that's not what a modeling amp is meant to do, so it has yeah. its application it's not at all a musical crutch um for the most part it it's more convenient it's more cost effective uh, and sustainable so um i I give it two thumbs up I'm currently a user of model amp modeling amps so yeah. Uh lastly, in ears. I I think me and you both can say, just from from using them and from knowing like Brian Johnson, the only reason he's able to still sing and perform is because his in ears. Um just the convenience of stage sound not being there is loud with, you know, wedge monitors or the fact that you can fine-tune your mix and they're in your ears it's just it's awesome that we can you know we can save somebody hearing problems and still be an amazing rock band and play as loud as they want
2: Um. yeah i i think this is more just a preference i don't really know that
1: this has an effect on music one way or the other a lot of people a lot of very famous people uh I've never used in-ears, don't like them, don't, don't want to use them. Uh, a lot of people swear by them, so I think it's just totally up to to you. Um, you know, there's been, uh, you know, people as famous as, um, I think, like Freddie Mercury. I mean, he was kind of known for, he, he didn't like in-ear monitors. He wanted to sing, try to sing through the mix of the on-stage uh, monitors um so i i just think it's a preference totally a preference to the player or singer um but i mean yeah i like them i think they're they're good
2: um have a you know very very useful quality to them um you know uh, as, as somebody who's played drums live uh, it'd be
1: much more convenient using in ears uh, than it would be just trying to listen to it floor amp. But, um, that's just me.
0: I hear you. I, I, same experience for me. Um, the few shows that I've played behind a drum kit, I had in ears in. And if I didn't, I don't think I would have been able to, to stay with the band, you know, or keep the band together, I should say. Come in. That- I don't want to say a pointless topic, but uh, a thinking topic for sure. Something to keep your gears turning and um, some, not so much of an effect as others. Um, but if you take away anything, if you're ever in a band with me and Andy, you can't use auto team. Uh, third <laughs> <Very> topic. <true. laughs> yeah, very true. Uh, the third topic, one I've been looking forward to doing since we kind of thought about this uh, podcast coexisting um, together. So, it's the Build-A-Band. Um, we may try to come up with a more wittier name than that, but uh basic concept of it is one week we may spin a wheel to see how many members we get to draft, or one week we may say, hey, we're just going to draft a six-piece band or a five-piece band. Um, we will try to draft a band that we think is a power group. Um maybe favorite musicians, maybe musicians you think that would play well together, or musicians you would want to play together. Um whether they are past or present musicians, alive or past, um doesn't matter. The only real stipulation is uh if I draft a musician, Andy cannot take them from me or draft them as well. Um so for instance if i took Bon scott andy couldn't take Bon scott as his lead vocalist uh, or if he took someone that i tried and i wanted them i'm unfortunately just going to have to adapt and come up with somebody else um so andy would you like me to pull up a handy dandy little spinner app to see how many people were drafting or would you just try or do you want to go let's do five or four what i'll let you make that decision
1: I would say probably just start with four.
0: Four. That's kind of. I was. I was thinking either four or five. I mean, most bands that is their original core, anyways. Um, uh, but since since you are my co-host and I and I don't want to be the only one talking all the time, I will allow you to draft first. Um.
2: So I'm not going to try to build like a,
1: like a, what I think the best band would be. I'm just thinking in terms of trying to create a, a group who could
2: do a common, a common type of music together really well. Um,
1: so I'm really thinking more in terms of like just hard rock uh, right now, like who I think I could build a four-piece band out of, um, that could play that specific genre really well.
2: I'll just kind of start with, um, singer, I guess. Um, and I mean, it feels like an obvious answer, but if I'm just doing like a hard rock
1: band, we're not going to do ballads. We're not going to do, um, you know, You're not going to hear us doing any
2: uh, 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 prog rock, anything like that. Just hard rock and roll. Um, I'm going to start with um,
1: one that I think would be just a good solid choice. And I'm just going to say Robert Plant at vocals.
0: Um, He's definitely, he was definitely on my list for sure. Um, Yeah. I I wasn't for sure that I was going to take him as my vocalist or not. I've got a couple options, but and for a first pick man, that's 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 some great great vocals. Um yeah, and I'll pass to you. All right. Um for the band that I'm putting together, I'm kind of I'm wanting some versatility. I don't want to just be, you know, a hard rock band or uh, just do ballads. I, I want some versatility. So I'm also. Going to take a lead singer. And uh, someone that has. Proved that they can do hard rock. And ballads. And has written a ton of stuff. That can fall into those categories. I'm going to take Axel Rose. You've got the piano capabilities. You've got the great vocals. Great songwriter. Uh, I think. I think that's a. I think that's a good starting point
2: for a vocalist. Okay. We'll bounce back to um, you. So. I'll do guitar player. Um I would love to choose. Um. Angus Young, but I'm going to refrain from that
1: um, since we talked about them so much. To do someone else, um, I'll, I'm going to pick a guy who's not—he's more thought of as metal, uh, and he's not with us anymore. He's been—he's passed away a long time ago. But um, I'm going to say, as my guitar player, I'm going to do Randy Rhodes.
0: Oh, man. I was going to pick him next, actually. I think
1: that his guitar playing combined with um, Robert Plant's high vocals uh, would that'd be very a very interesting combination. It'd be totally different than a Jimmy Page-Robert uh, Plant collaboration, but I'd be very interested to hear what
2: that would sound like, just playing hard rock. So I, I would have to go with him.
0: Yeah, I, I I would agree. Um, like I said, I, he was gonna be my next pick. Uh so if you hear me stalling, I, I apologize. Um huh. so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna skip the guitar players for right now since you, you went and nabbed a great one. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go straight to drums and uh I'm gonna take Got a couple in mind that I'm gonna. I'd obviously want to take Dave Grohl as a drummer, but I'm not going to because that would be cliche of me since he's my favorite musician ever. Um, so I'm gonna take Matt Portnoy. Um, he played with Dream Theater, he played with Avenge Sevenfold, he's played with Mr. Big, he's played with the Winery Dogs. Um, he's a great drummer, he sings great backup vocals. So, uh and he has kind of a baritone voice, which I think he could sing some pretty good low harmonies with Axel if he needed to. So and that's intriguing to me. We'll we'll throw it back to you.
2: All right, um, bass player uh,
1: for this command, Um I'm gonna pick this guy for two reasons, um, and and it's Michael Anthony on bass. Um, he's a fantastic hard rock bass player, but he's also a very good harmony vocalist. Um, uh, can sing lead too if you need him to. Um yeah, I mean that guy was the secret weapon in Van Halen, so um we yeah. just didn't want to pay him. <laughs> yeah. So I I would I his vocals combined with Robert Plant's plus his bass behind um, Randy Rhodes would be uh, quite the combination. So, yeah, I'd have to go with him.
0: Pretty good pick. It's a pretty good pick. I, I'm going to move over to guitar players, um, and I'm going to take someone that
2: I don't think you're going to you're going to like.
0: I don't think you're going to dislike it. Um, Richie Cotson, another great singer, a great guitar player. Of course, he played with Mike Portnoy and Wondery Dogs and Mr. Big. But uh, they've proven that they blend well together in vocals. But I think Cotson could get over the top of Axel and sing those high thirds and play some ripping guitar parts. So I'm going to take him just for sheer fit of the band. Um, And he's a good songwriter, so.
2: Um, at leaves your drummer. My first overall pick,
1: I would want to do Alex Van Halen. I love his drumming in Van Halen. I don't think he ever gets talked about enough. But I'm not going to pick him just because I picked Michael Anthony. I'm going to do a guy who also never gets enough respect. His drumming on one particular record um, is about as perfect as a drum record as perfect can be in terms of uh, just the way his sound and technique fit in the band. and It wasn't overly complicated. But it was just very, very precise, very, very clean drumming, um, and nobody else who has been in his band after him, uh, re- who replaced him, has ever done as good a job as he has. And that's uh, um, Steven Adler for Guns N' Roses. Um, You know, when you're talking about rock and roll drums, I mean, that guy can do it as well as anybody
2: else can. And um, um, so I think he's just a solid, a very, very solid fourth
1: player there uh, to make up, especially making up a rhythm section with Michael Anthony and uh, playing behind Randy Rhodes. Uh, that would just be a pretty killer band,
0: so I agree I think that that's a that's a good pick, especially if you're talking hard rock drums, like you said, man could do it he i mean he had it um and i'm gonna i'm gonna end this off with the with the pick that I'm surprised that i I got to take at bass um just because we talked about him last last episode I'm gonna take Getty Lee playing bass um just just the sheer fact that he can sing, he can play bass and he can also play keyboard um so versatile uh he could give Axel breaks if he wanted to, you know, that kind of thing. So, I let, I'm going to I'm going to say a statement that I'm, I I think is pretty obvious. I picked people so they could sing. And you pick people because they were great musicians <laughs> you 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 picked some some ripping instrumentalist and a great singer and i I picked people that can sing and play
2: yeah i and i mean the the real, real realistic uh thing I
1: think about my band is you could plug and play a lot of different guitar players with that group and that and and, and just about anybody would work well. Yeah. Um I mean if you put uh again Angus Young in that group, that that would work. If you put Slash in that group or Eddie Van Halen in that group or
0: you know any any I, hair metal guitar player yeah, would, and, would fit well, in your any group.
1: Guy, any blues guy, any hard rock, any metal, uh, just about anybody would fit there. So
0: you could say that for uh, the drummer too, for your band. Yeah. As long as long as they knew how to play a hi hat and a crash and a snare and a kick, they'd be fine. Yep. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. All right. Well, I I think I just put together the uh, second journey with all those vocals. Um huh. And you put together a I'm trying to think of what your band would be. I I, I don't want to say Led Zeppelin since you took Zeppelin singer, but there's not I mean, many harmonies on now. Pretty much is the more progressive Zeppelin, Zeppelin which is yeah. wild to think about. Man,
1: if Zeppelin started in 1987, <laughs> that, that would have been what Zeppelin would have sounded like.
0: If Zeppelin grew up listening to Rush, um, yeah, that like like this last topic, man. This, this holds no musical knowledge other than this would be cool but uh like like it was it was cool to talk about it's something to think about um we're gonna move on to closing it's been another long episode we shot about 20 minutes over what we normally try to shoot for but uh it it's something we enjoy doing we you know we've had some struggles trying to schedule it together trying to make it work with technology like we said we're doing it over a discord chat so you can probably hear my dog running around in the background or my wife moving around in the house sorry just going to have to stick it out until we get some some better situations some some better setups but if you are sticking around just to listen and enjoy listening thank you we it is truly appreciated um but uh into the into the near future we're going to try to launch a Facebook page, try to get a logo made up for it. Um, Not really sure of a time frame then. We know we're going to start working on it soon. Like I said earlier in the podcast, the times have been hectic here lately. Um, also going to try to get a theme song somewhere. Uh, I think me and Andy have said that we're going to try to record some parts together, whether it be, you know, 20 seconds long or a minute long. We're going to figure something out and try to get it together. It's uh, going to be fun. Um, not really a time frame on that either. Uh, but the most exciting part that I'm looking forward to, I've got a couple of close friends I've talked to that are interested in coming on to the, to the show and talking with me and Andy. It's uh, not going to give any names away just so we can keep you interested. Um, But... Keep in tune for us. I'm going to have some good times in the near future. Going to come up with some new uh, segments and try to keep you interested. Try to en- enjoy some time together. Man, Andy, as always, it's been a blast. I, uh, I can't thank you enough for sitting down and taking this time with me. Um, at the very least, it's an enjoyable conversation, and I hope we can pique some interest. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, enjoyed it. Yeah, man. All right. So, like I said, with that Facebook coming up, um, maybe we'll put a post out there to where, you know, we, you build a band on a format that we put out there. And uh, we'll give you a shout out. Between the two of us, we'll pick one and uh, and say it's our favorite of the ones submitted. So, uh, you've been listening to Audio Arcade. Come back and catch us in a couple weeks.